Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? What do the little like words mean at the end of every single company? Like LTD, LLC, EV, GMBH. I never know. I never know what they all mean. There's too many of them. Very excited to get into more interesting topics than that today. Before I introduce our guest, I want to make sure you know who the voices are in this podcast. I am Richard Litauer, your rambling host. And I'm joined today by Abby Mays. Abby, how are you doing? I'm good. It's raining here, but uh, still cheerful. It is too hot in New York City, but I'm glad it's raining where you are. That's good. I don't know what the weather is on the other side of the world in Germany, in Potsdam, where we're joined today by Otto Richter. Otto, how are you doing today? Well, I'm fine. I'm sitting in the dark to keep the heat outside. I hear that. Germany can get pretty hot. I kind of want to ask Otto. It's not really cold where you are. I feel like it should be really cold because as the executive director of Codeberg, every time I think of your company, I just think of a giant iceberg floating down the ocean. Well, the actual icon of Codeberg, the initial one was actually a mountain in Japan. I'm not sure if I can pronounce it correctly, but I think it's Aburayama or something like this. So it's not exactly about an iceberg, but rather about a pile of code lying around. I love that. I just realized, of course, berg in your language means mountain, whereas in mine, it mainly means iceberg. So that is super cool. Already learned something new. All right. Can you talk to us a bit about what Codeberg is and how it works? Codeberg is a nonprofit hosting software repositories because the founders of Codeberg, I'm not one of them, found it quite weird that most free software is actually developed on proprietary software platforms and they wanted to do better, created an alternative for everyone who wants to host free software. And we're trying to build an ecosystem around everything run by donations. So obviously, straight out of the gate, most software run today that's open source, I believe is hosted on GitHub, which is proprietary. The code for GitHub itself is not open source, although they are very open source adjacent and do a lot of great open source work. Hello, Abby. Some other code we know is also hosted on things like GitLab. Now, I thought GitLab was open source, so it's confusing to me. Is it not? Why is Codeberg different? So GitLab.com, which is actually running non-free software too, is not open source, but they have an open core edition. It's actually self-hostable and it's, of course, in an, another option, um, which is great. But when we went looking for a software to run Codeberg on, we went for Gitty instead, which is developed independently and there is no company behind because at GitLab, you obviously see that everything is directed by a company in the background and the free software community has a hard job influencing their decisions. I hear that. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned you weren't the founder, although you are the executive director, which means that Codeberg already has a vibrant, interesting history. Can you tell me about what the structure of Codeberg's company is? Codeberg is a registered nonprofit association in Germany. To get this started, you need at least seven persons. So there are at least seven founding members. I don't know if there are more. And you write some bylaws that actually have guide the internal structures. We have different elected gremiums. And one of them is the presidium, which leads the decisions of the platform. And there is an executive board which is appointed to do the day-to-day -day business and 
that's me, since last year. Actually, I joined Codeberg as an association two years ago, and I've been immediately asked to join the presidium because there are always too few people for the elected gremiums. I think that's the case in many nonprofit associations, actually. And I was involved in helping users before. And so I was apparently a trusted person, got trusted with this job. And a year later, I went to the executive board. Now, you're also a student in Potsdam, correct? Yes, I'm actually studying in Berlin. The cities are next to each other. Cool. Yep. 20, 30 minutes with the train. Excellent. I asked because I'm curious, like, what is the financial structure? How much funding do you have and where do you get your funding from? Kildberg has two major sources of income. One are the donations by everyone who wants to donate. And the other source of income is membership fees because people that want to support Kildberg can join our nonprofit association either as a supporting or active member. And active members additionally have voting rights within the association. There is a minimum fee of about 24 euros per year to get the active voting right. And this year, the first time we might receive funding for a software project we are running. But in the past, everything Kirkberg is right now has been built completely with donations. That's great. And the membership fees, that's for individuals. So you're not really looking at corporations? Yes, there's an opportunity to have some corporations join us. I think we have lower double-digit number of associations, but it's mostly startups. And yeah, I don't recall if we have larger companies. I don't think so, from the names at least. I, most of them, when I look them up, I never heard of mostly freelancers with their business, I think. So that makes sense for Codeberg, where it's very like a grassroots community. And it's great that you're able to fund so much of your work through that. It's quite good working out. Just to mention it here, it could be better, of course. Maybe I will tell this little anecdote that we have a competitor. We learned immediately after starting Codeberg. Maybe you have heard of Sourcehut. So it's a friendly competition, but it's funny to see that they do not run on donations, but on a volunteer fee for the service. And I have the impression that it works out better for them than for us. But still, we should not look at our competitors because at least for Codeberg, it's working great so far. And it's quite astonishingly much money that we have to build and run this. And we're growing quickly. That's awesome. And for the voting, what kind of things are the members voting on? Is it more around directions of the project or is it around how you're spending money, things like that? Yeah, so we have a general assembly once a year. Our members can bring up topics to discuss. They have, of course, all these formal elections like who is the next presidium and do you agree to the budget planning for the next year? But additionally, we try to put as much feedback. For example, last year we had implemented new terms of service and, of course, we had all Codebrook members vote and agree to them. And it was quite some effort because we had a month of discussion and a lot of iterations. But in the end, I think this is the best if the users or supporters of a platform can decide, okay, yes, this is what we want to have as terms of service for the future, for example. And this year, we are definitely running a small poll, not necessarily a vote about certain directions. Do you rather want Codeberg like this or is this a Codeberg of your dreams? And 
we are trying to gather as much feedback from our members as possible. That's great. And sorry, I have so many governance questions. I just find this super interesting. But you also mentioned an executive board. How does the board work in relation to your membership? So the elected gremiums is for once a presidium and the board is actually rather the executive director. It's a little bit confusing because even in German law, the words are sometimes exchanged and there's different interpretation whether you look at the law or if you look at the representation. But in short, the members elect set of people which decide and meet regularly. There is, of course, internal discussion, so you can always email us and there is some kind of issue tracker, abuse for having member discussions and feedback and so on. And you can, of course, interact with them there. But the presidium is not legally leading the affairs of Codeberg. So the presidium needs to appoint someone who does all the official and office stuff. And basically, that's me. And I'm quite involved in the community, but not really in my position as an executive director, but rather as like I'm leading many projects on Codeberg independently of my official role. So it could also work differently and you could just do the office work without interacting probably. Well, I'm curious about the membership voting. Can you join as a member if you're not from Germany? Yes, this works out. The primary barrier is probably the transfer of the membership fee. So by default, we're using ZEPA Direct Debit, which works pretty great in Germany and Europe, but it's not widely available in other parts of the world. And quite funny because we are writing the accounting solutions on our own with some libraries and the standards are abbreviated P-A-I-N. It's really a pain to work with some of them. But as an alternative, we also offer directly sending the money to our banking account for everyone who can do a normal bank transfer. And we are also offering PayPal for those that prefer this. So you, you just send us an email. It's not currently an option in the join form, but I think we have like 50% of our members are not from Germany. I recently looked this up, but I forgot the number. Cool. I ask because I know in open source in Germany, sovereignty is a really large issue and sovereignty is a really loaded, complex word in English. But in German open source discussions I've been in, it seems to be more around the idea that we're not reliant on, say, American large tech to run our own businesses or to run our tech. We can just have our own stuff that also works the same, even if it's open source and it uses the same platforms. But if an American Eastern Seaboard goes down, our Seaboard doesn't go down too. So I'm really curious about how that works in the governance model for Codeberg. That's a lead on from that. Before I ask for your comments, I want to ask about, was sovereignty one of the things that you thought of when you thought of like, we need to have our own nonprofit that runs Git in its own open source way? I was just curious if that was one of the values you're trying to enshrine in your platform. It probably is, but not the main one, because many people I know are also fine if they use services run by some American nonprofit, for example. One very good example is, for example, Let's Encrypt, and they are awesome. But of course, it's mostly about having someone you trust. Of course, if you have some anonymous collective, for many, it's fine for them. But sometimes you want to know, okay, who is behind this? Can they promise that the service won't go down? And having an officially formed nonprofit, no matter where, helps with this part of the trust. 
But I think after Codeberg was established, uh, many people that use Codeberg use it for exactly this reason. And we even got asked about not using the .org domain from some users and rather using some local domain. We have it reserved. We don't yet use it because it's not our main focus. But we, of course, hear that some users demand the sovereignty from us too. I like that. That makes sense to me. When I think about your users, I'm trying to form a picture of who they are. And I'm thinking about people who are free software enthusiasts, people who are really into securing the digital rights and exercising to the greatest ability. Can you tell me if there's other segments that I'm missing? So for every technical platform, you always have to deal with non-technical users too. We have many users who just sign up at Codeberg to report an issue or interact with project maintainers. For some of them, we also noted that they land in the wrong issue trackers, for example. So they email Codeberg or report issues to Codeberg about some software projects they use from Codeberg. Probably worsened by the fact that Codeberg is not well known and might sound like we are just the developers of the software instead of a hoster. We have a lot of users who don't use Git. We have some people who just want to publish their Codeberg pages. I'm using our service. Yes, everything in between designers translators and so on. I'm glad you brought up designers. I know you got slated in 2020 on Y Combinator for not having a great design, but it seems to have improved a lot since, which is excellent. And I know that GitHub and GitLab also spend a lot of effort on the UX of their work, trying to make it easy for people to contribute to the platform. Can you talk a bit about what the design process looks like? So yes, we don't currently have very established design processes, mostly because we don't have established process for most related areas either. And many things are just kind of working in a democracy style. So someone proposes a design update. You also need someone who implements it. And I think this is really difficult. So we try to help with this and paid people to implement the design projects, which is, of course, a manual effort to find people who do the work. Our biggest milestone is probably the landing page, which got the redesign and the footer so if you are using Gitty or Forjeo, which is a recent fork of it, and if you compare our design to the defaults, you can notice a lot of difference between the both. I feel like we haven't asked officially. Tell us how many projects and users do you have? Yes, so currently we have about 60,000 users and more than 70,000 projects. But as a project, every repository, no matter how small, is counted currently. And I think about 350 Codeberg EV legal members at the moment. Glad to see that many people. That's really cool. Can you tell me about user protections, which you're working into the platform? For instance, are people allowed to have private repositories or are there assurances that various code won't be scraped for, say, AI or something like that? I'm just curious how you're working that in. Yes, you can have private repositories if you want to, but... Because we are, of course, targeted to helping free software thrive and they are limited to stuff related to your work or really small personal things, but you can't develop proprietary software in private. And that's not the scope of Codeberg. And you can also set your user visibility to limited, which allows other users to see and interact with your work, but they're not visible to the outside. And we, of course, having some basic rate limiting and we sometimes scan logs to see if we have 
some bots scraping the content, but of course you can't really protect you or your content from bots because you also don't want to protect your content from legitimate users. And we also hear a lot of feedback from others who say, okay, for example, other platforms are not accessible because they are behind captures and Cloudflare stuff and not accessible to Tor, et cetera, et cetera. And we, of course, do not want to limit users and at this point. It's good that you're not blocking, say, users from using things like Tor and the like. I love that. I think it's really cool. I'm glad you mentioned Cloudflare and the like. I know you've written elsewhere around varying expectations that modern users have for cloud apps for various websites. And I'm curious, how do you manage expectations around the platform being up all the time and the services it provides, given that you're a small nonprofit? So we do not have something like 24-7 monitoring. It's all based on volunteers, mainly because to guarantee something, you need a lot of money. And you need, of course, to trust people. So we can't just give everyone access to the service and say, okay, please fix it if you have some time. But of course, we're keeping the core team small, which has access to machines and is able to reboot services. And we promise to do our best, but we do not implement strict guarantees. I know that for many users, this works out great, but I know that others have difficulties. So what's really something that we see often is when other alternatives are down, for example, GitHub. Many users say, okay, GitHub is down again. That's the final thing. I will move to Codeberg. But we can't be happy about those users because we know if they rant about this platform right now, they will probably rant about Codeberg in a few weeks when we deploy a regular update and maybe some connections have been dropped, for example. We try to be honest about this. We also think that the expectations in this area have changed a lot recently because 10 years ago, when most other proprietary and big platforms have evolved, the expectations have been difficult. 10 years ago, it was quite common that someone would say, oh, look, Google is down. And of course, it was a thing that Google is down and people said, okay, that happens not often, but it happened and it was okay. So, okay, Google is down for a moment. And other platforms like Twitter even had nicknames with the fail whale, for example. But no, most of these platforms have established their standards. They have site reliability engineers who are dedicated to this whole subject. And having new platforms grow nowadays, not only for service, but also for open source projects who do not have some established standards for this and that. I think it's much harder to grow your platform or your project nowadays because people are used to the availability guarantees. And just to mention this, Codeberg does not rely on cloud hosting, for example. So you can also spin up the, exactly the same software and host your storage on some cloud hosting. You can use Amazon Web Services for attachments, etc. But we are not doing this. We are having our own server. We know that like the worst that can happen is that someone rips the disk out, but they're encrypted. So it's really nothing that can happen to us. But we also know that it's quite difficult to keep the own machine running. You need to drive to the data center because we do not have stuff available in place. And we know that many people do not understand this decision and rather say, okay, why don't you just use and join some cloud provider and managed storage, for example. That's really interesting. So given the enormous amount of resources that it would take to increase your reliability, have you shifted the audience that you're looking at for Codeberg? 
maybe people who value free software a bit more than availability. It's not that Codeberg works unreliable. The funny thing is that even with basic resources, you can reach an incredible amount of uptime and stability. And the funny thing is that our uptime only decreased when we tried to change this. So one example is if you have a basic file system, it works and it kind of always works unless a disk fails, for example, and then you can replace it and it works again. If you want to prevent small downtime during the disk failure, you deploy technology, for example, Ceph, which is distributed file system. But in the early days of our Ceph experience, we had a lot of downtime because of Ceph, because if you deploy technology to solve those problems, you also need the people to master this technology. And this moment, you notice that there are two options that you can have a big uptime with very little resources. If you accept that, for example, during a reboot or in case of a server failure, you accept a small downtime or you have a big uptime if you want to optimize for these tiny, tiny moments, but you need a lot more resources and especially human resources to get this right and even have availability and load balancing and all this fancy technology. Because we say, okay, in case something fails, it might take a moment. And because some server restarts and database migrations do not happen in place because of this optimized uptime, we accept that Codeberg is down for five minutes until the migration is done. But most users don't care because it's just tiny moment. And even large competitors who do so many resources and so much for the uptime have downtimes of a few minutes. So in the end, I think it doesn't really matter to many users. Well, it's really interesting. Yeah. How are you setting expectations that you will be down for five minutes? Do you put up notices? So if we know about it, we try to communicate this clearly. We also try to not do critical deployments during rush hours, of course. And since Codeberg is busiest during European evenings, you can safely deploy during the night. So you have some people from Asia and India who will say, okay, was it down for a moment? And you say, yes, we just did a small update. It's back up again. If we do not know about it, it's of course a problem because we, for example, do not have dedicated social media managers or something. So if something at Codeberg fails, you need to do everything at once. So you need to blog about it, update the status page, log into the server, try to reboot it. And of course, our communication still needs to get better in this case, but we are doing our best. I'm curious, what's your growth plan if you don't have community managers or communications people? Yeah, it's not that we do not want to have them. It's also about the trust so that you cannot just share the credentials with everyone who wants to post something. But during the latest annual assembly, we spread least awareness that there's many domains of Codeberg that still need additional human resources. And I'm quite confident that we will find people sooner or later to take over certain aspects of the wall part. And in the worst case, we need to hire someone to do the job. But if you are small enough and it's not that there's really a lot happening on social media, like it's still manageable by one or two people who do it in their free time, you do not yet need to hire someone to do the job. And we rather invest the resources we have into improving the platform itself. Have a lot of your contributors come through your membership or through advertising things with the assembly? Well, I think it's really mixed. We have some people who get interested in Codeberg and immediately join the association and 
do nothing else, just contributing money. We also have people who immediately get involved with everything and want to help out and only later consider joining the association. We even have some core contributor who exists in all internal chat groups and even has some access to machines and he's not yet a Codebrook member, for example. This is really mixed. I think the people are united with their mission to improve this. And because we also have people who only contribute to the upstream libraries and tools we use, there's even the opportunity to help Codeberg without being affiliated to Codeberg in any case, in any sense. Taking a step back, I'm really curious. Large proprietary code bases are a problem. I agree with you there. They serve a lot of solutions. They help a lot of different things. But in terms of free software, it's often quite difficult. But setting up a nonprofit to run another platform seems to me to be going one step closer, but not the full step needed. Why don't you have a federated system or a decentralized system? What is it that makes Codeberg need to have, say, a single platform where you run everything as opposed to something else? So the major reason for this is that a federated software forge does not yet exist. I mean, you can use Git via email, which is federated. But proprietary platforms have built expectations around how software works. And we have a lot of users who come, for example, from GitHub and GitLab, and they're used to how things work from a UI perspective. And they do not even know that they can use Git. We even have people who do not know that we are using Git. So they switch from GitHub to Codeberg, for example, and say, okay, it works basically the same way. But if we tell them, hey, it's actually the same tool below. It's using Git and they hear the first time that Git exists. But good thing is that for JO, the software we run on is actually working on federation using ActivityPub. So you could even interact with services like Mastodon, Pixelfit, etc. So you could even have, for example, users from Mastodon report issues to your software or follow your releases if you want to. But this is, of course, a big work in progress because the software was not designed with federation in mind. It exists even far longer than Codeberg. So we didn't recreate the software, but used an existing solution. And we're quite happy to see progress in this area. And that we hope, of course, that Codeberg will soon federate with everyone who decides to host their own instance. And nevertheless, I think that you need to have trusted service operators because not everyone has the technical prerequisites to host the software yourself. It's also quite inefficient if you consider that everyone has to maintain all the services they need. So there's still a selling point for people who say, okay, I'm offering you a service. You can trust me. You can trust someone else. The software is federated. So you can choose the software platform you are on. You can also host your own thing. It doesn't matter. But if you just contribute to software and want to focus on this, you do not have to spin up a wall infrastructure just to host your 50 kilobytes Git repository. I really like that you can maybe integrate with Mastodon and the like, hopefully with Matrix and all the other awesome German decentralized projects out there. That is super awesome. I want to get to one other thing, which is you wrote on your blog about the hardest scaling issue, about human resources necessary to sort of work on scaling and to work on understanding how to implement different projects all the way down the stack. Can you talk a bit about what you said there? So I blogged about this because it was really a moment when I realized that when we're talking about scaling, we should not only focus on technical scaling, which is what most people know about. 
and their solutions, but you need the people to actually manage the solutions. I talked about the example with Seth earlier. So Seth is a great solution for scaling up storage, but it has its cost. Not only you need machines and disks, but you also have to dedicate some humans managing this Ceph cluster. And I learned about a lot about Ceph. It's an awesome piece of software. And I have a lot of ideas to improve our settings, for example. But I could work full time on our Ceph cluster and do nothing else. So what you need is to find some workflow. And we are still in the process of doing this because realizing you have a problem is only the first step, obviously. And we talked about this internally, often in chats, publicly. We talked about this during the annual assembly. And we are currently trying to implement no-code solutions, if you say it like this, which is what some people still struggle with to solve these scaling issues at the human front and having responsibilities that are clear, but still not this top-down structure so that not every decision needs to iterate too often, of course, helps all this. And the biggest difficulty at Codeberg is that we do not have many employees or fixed positions. And managing a bunch of loose contributors is, of course, another problem than implementing teams, because you always have to think that if someone starts a project, they might not continue doing this tomorrow. So you always have to keep redundancy in mind to get things done if someone just decides to drop working on a certain subject. I really like this topic, and I think it's a theme I'm starting to see around open source sustainability. I know I focus a lot on maintainers and like supporting them as leading to sustainable software. Dwayne O'Brien's been writing about the human critical infrastructure as part of this. So it's great to see other projects that started to notice this. And I'm glad you've talked about before how you've been talking to the assembly about how you need community managers or communications folks. What else are you trying to do to sort of build up this human infrastructure or the these people that you need to scale? Yeah, I think one important part is that you need to pay humans for their awesome work, which is, of course, a matter in open source project because you would love to pay everyone. You can't do this. You need to decide whom to pay, what is the most important thing. And at this point, we kind of did a mistake because, of course, the first job position we had at Codeberg was focused on technical work. And we soon realized that this is, of course, awesome. And our employee was doing a great job, but we instead needed more managing positions and people who can distribute the work. The next step is probably to revisit all of our internal structures. We even got a proposal how to restructure Codeberg into work groups. We recently implemented projects, coordination point to spread the awareness that the, a nonprofit association like Codeberg kind of works like many small sports clubs, at least here in Germany. So you, of course, have some official positions, but if someone says, okay, let's renovate our club room, it's not the executive director doing the work, but someone can say, hey, I would love to do this. They get the necessary support, for example, the money to buy color, and then they just start doing it. And we try to spread the awareness that Codeberg kind of needs the same culture 
that is also present in most open source projects. So you do not only open an issue and ask the maintainers to do something, but often you go ahead and propose a patch. And the same goes for Codebrick. If you want to have, for example, another CI solution, we already have one, but there's a new upcoming solution that is actually compatible to GitHub Actions, for example. But we still need someone to host the software and do some improvements. So if someone wants to have this, it would be right to get in touch with us. We can provide you with the storage and computing power and you go ahead and use these resources and form an independent team within the umbrella of Codeberg to solve and provide, solve the problem and provide the service. And I hope that having spread this awareness, we can improve this matter in the future and have many people motivated to solve and run a service within Codeberg in the near future. This is really great. So have you thought of ways to pay contributors for their work? Or do you have a system now that gets the donations directly to your contributors? For people living in Germany, this is quite easy because there is a voluntary effort compensation, which you can receive tax-free. And it's not much, but it covers simple tasks like, okay, we have someone who redesigns a landing page. For anyone else, we would probably require people to send us a regular bill so they would need to be freelancers but this is not a problem for hiring people we as i said we had our employee this is also possible but we jokingly said that for every hour he could work into software stuff i had one hour of work as the executive director to do all the bookkeeping and it was quite a bureaucracy to get all of this right in germany I suppose this gets more efficient if you have multiple employees, but for one, it was quite difficult to learn about all the things you need to do to register them, etc. Yeah, but of course we have the money and every legal matter that works for a company to pay people also works for us in the end. And there's no big difference. I would feel totally remiss if I didn't mention this. You really ought to get in touch with Cross at UC Santa Cruz. It's a lab that works with students that was founded by the person who founded Ceph was the one who donated all the money to get that set up. And I wonder if working with students might also help because they also may have the time to help out with things like getting Ceph running, which takes a lot. It's just had to drop that in. Although this has been an awesome conversation. I think you're doing amazing work. I'm really grateful for it. Thank you so much. Where can people follow along with your words and with the project? People can follow our blog, which is the most detailed thing. We also have an account at Mastodon. We also have an account at Twitter, but we are not actively posting a lot of content there from time to time still. The best thing is probably to get involved, join our Matrix channels, try out Codeberg, see if it suits your needs. Maybe even consider joining our nonprofit association. You will receive a monthly newsletter, which summarizes everything that's going on and like start moving some small projects to us, try things out maybe check out existing software projects on Codeberg. And if you like it, we are happy if you consider a donation contributing to the platform or moving your more serious stuff to Codeberg. Thank you. Cool. Otto, thank you so much. Don't leave yet, though. Now is the time of the show for a spotlight where we highlight other projects, people or things, which we feel just need a little bit of light shed on them or a little bit of love. Abby, what's your spotlight today? My spotlight is the Godot game engine. I looked it up and it's not pronounced Godot. It's a French gaming engine. So I've been doing that wrong for a while, but it's Godot. And it's been really exciting just to see that community grow and people being really creative. 
using that to build cool games. Love that. Awesome. Mine is a book by Martin Espada, who's a wonderful Puerto Rican poet who lives in Massachusetts. It's called Floaters. It won the National Book Award. Just a brilliant book of poetry. I read it yesterday after picking it up. And thank you, Espada, for writing great poetry. Otto, what's yours today? Well, you need to know that I'm working in event technology part-time and... In event technology, you need really stable solutions. And I want to say a big thank you to Linux Showplayer, which is a great alternative to all these Mac-only proprietary show players for theater plays. And it's really one of the most stable pieces of software. It's really reliable. And if you have a stressful day and you want to ensure that everything is running, you don't want to have software crashes. I never had one. Linux Showplayer is great. Thank you so much for maintaining this piece of software. Excellent. Thank you so much. Listeners, hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, let us know. You can email podcast at thesaintoss.org or reach out to us on all the social medias. Happy to have any comments. If you'd like other guests to come on, please let us know who you would like to see. As well, please like this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully it's an open source alternative. I really need to look into that. And of course, you can go onto our discourse at sustainoss.org to learn more. And you can go to opencollective.com slash sustainoss if you would like to donate to help out future episodes of this podcast. Otto, thank you so much. Best of luck. This is an awesome project. And thanks for talking about it. Have a good day. Thank you. 